0: How will the Bills and Patriots evolve their play calling with the loss of their stud OCs? Zach Wilson sucked. Mac Jones rocked in their rookie debuts. Does it matter for really forecasting their success in 2022? Those are the questions that we'll address in today's Market Outlook for the AFC East. Let's hit the opening bell. What's your best bet for
1: the AFC East? I think it's got to be the uh, Patriots under here. I think Bill Belichick might be uh, entering the the twilight of his career. Uh, And the Patriots, uh, they spent a lot in free agency last season. Uh, Their guys are getting older. Uh, Yes, Mac Jones was good as a rookie, uh, but there are a lot of holes on that roster. They're playing in what should be a better division. Uh, I think the Patriots are a sell this year.
0: You know, I wanted to make a bet live. And Patriots are under eight and a half. I do have conviction in this play. So definitely love the Patriots under. I think they lost so much this offseason. Uh, There's some people kind of citing Pythag and something that we'll talk about more on these streams that that suggested that the Patriots actually uh could have performed even better than their 10 wins that the pythag is around like 11 kind of 12 wins and that that suggests that maybe they're being underrated or that they were at least being underrated last season okay, so we kind of see again where the market is kind of positioned right now you have the bills at the top uh at 12 i mean that is really aggressive and uh, then you have the patriots um around uh eight and a half dolphins nine jets six
1: yeah, I think the, the Dolphins under stands out. I think the Dolphins are really embarking on a experiment this, this offseason. Uh, I think by uh, trading for Tyreek Hill, already having Jalen Waddle, trading away Devontae Parker, I think they're almost signaling that uh, they're going to play to two of strengths, which are releasing the ball quickly, throwing accurately, relying on yards after the catch, which I think is going to give up uh, kind of the ability to throw the ball down the field. I don't think uh, they're even going to be holding to, onto the ball very long. I think two is going to get the ball out of his hands real quickly. Uh, and I think while there are certainly cases for upside, uh, I think with a rookie head coach, with an offense that's really kind of one-dimensional, which is going to be relying on yards after the catch, they were terrible at running the ball. Their offensive line is still bad. Uh, that shouldn't really change next year. Uh, with a one-dimensional offense, there's a, there's a real case uh, and a tail for them to, for the Dolphins to be really, really bad.
0: Yeah, I think that's attractive, especially the pricing. Plus 200. There's a lot of moving pieces there. One of the things that we talked about last week, was if you're underpricing that phenomenon, then there's potential upside to, to taking the over on that. It's something that we kind of flirted with last week when we were talking about the Giants. Uh, there's so many moving people uh, pieces there, but everyone's writing it off as it's certainly not gonna come together. There's a lot of moving pieces for the Dolphins as well. And so is it all gonna come together in just one season? Let's get into the Jets. Let's start with, again, kind of looking back and kind of recapping some of their 2021 performance uh, to set the stage as we kind of look forward into 2022. See, the average kind of power ranking was around 29, started the season off 0-3, 0-3 against the spread, uh, had a surprising win against uh, Tennessee, uh, and then moved up rapidly simply because they played competitively with the Falcons, and then had that very surprising win against the Bengals, which knocked out, that was the first game that knocked out a huge swath of the survivor pools because pretty much leading all the way up into that game, like 75% of the pool was still involved. And then about 50% boom gone in, in that game.
1: And even as a, a good point, just in general uh, about power rankings and volatility and, and actually buying changes, look at where the Bengals were uh, right. The Bengals yeah. had actually started their upswing. They were 12th in their game against the jets. They lost kind of a, a weird you know variant game against the jets uh and then we'll see when we preview the afc north they also started to take a tumble before they eventually climbed back up a good reminder of of variance in football and volatility and uh, kind of always wanting to be on the right side of where teams will end up even through the uh the noise of the nfl regular season and so we see
0: like going into 2021 the jets had uh a win total expectation of six didn't even meet that, went four and 13, six and 11 against the spread. This is one of the nastiest numbers that I've seen thus far, kind of putting these slides together. Uh, a 100 unit better, betting on the Jets last year on their money line and spread, lost a thousand bucks. Pythag had them around four wins. Our Pythag 2.0 actually had them at 5.3. So a little bit better than a uh, realized uh, performance, but one of the kind of key inputs to Pythag 2.0, is, as we know, one of the key inputs to Pythag 1.0 is points for points against. And so essentially Pythag 2.0 looks at points uh, for over expectation and points against over expectation. Uh, So if a team is uh, expected to win by seven and they win by seven, they get zero benefit. For that. It's only an excess of how much they were supposed to win by is what they'll actually be uh, uh, credited for. Never really flirted with kind of anyone, I would say abandoning their thesis on the Jets at any point in time. Last season, there was always pretty much a uh, perception that they were bad. Zach Wilson started the first kind of six, seven uh, games. Then he got hurt. Mike White came in and performed actually quite admirably. Uh, in fact I would say when he was performing that's when the Jets offense actually kind of clicked for a little bit and that in fact that's when they beat
1: the Bengals. that's right and, and even had a, a pretty good first quarter against the uh the Colts before he got hurt and yep. Josh Johnson stepped in um, yeah and that was
0: another game where they were huge underdogs um again a 10point a underdog and, and you're right throughout that kind of first quarter or so uh they were kind of making
1: Colts betters nervous for sure. If anything, it actually points to to the power of the offensive play calling. Sack uh, Wilson was awful uh, last year. There's no way around that. We, we'll talk about whether that matters. But I, I think it says more about how the, the Jets position their quarterbacks than, than Mike White being good. I don't think Mike White's an NFL quarterback, but the very fact that you know, he could put up 34 points speaks to. Uh, kind of the power of the, the offensive design and the offensive game plan. So.
0: We see uh, on the right side, uh, kind of like how the market positioned around the Jets on a week to week basis. And it's pretty much read across the board uh, the two times that they kind of hit the green from a bet- betting percentage perspective. So at least kind of more than 50% of the betting market kind of leaning into them was first the Falcons, which they were competitive, but lost and lost against the spread. Uh, and then late in the season versus Jags when they actually did win that game. Uh, So now let's kind of go into the off season, look at the NFL draft. I'm not an expert on the NFL draft. One of the reasons why I solicited help from Ron A Sports over here, uh, who does a whole breakdown, kind of detailed analysis of every team, every pick. It's really impressive. He just provides some really sharp insights. But so I basically kind of got some of his reports he sent across to me so we could share on the stream and then shared a few nuggets from his reports. He's certainly excited uh, with Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. So that just adds even more ammunition to an already kind of young wide receiver court. And then also they drafted running back Brees Hall from Iowa State. And I've I've heard mixed reports on him. A second round pick, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. One of the things I was reading though, is he's not great kind of off the tackle. So that could potentially you know, mitigate some of his, some of his upside. Yeah, so let's talk now about other offseason changes for the Jets. So boosted the offensive line, uh, replaced Marcus May with Jordan Whitehead, signed CJ Uzoma, uh, lost Jameson Crowder, but again, he couldn't necessarily stay healthy kind of year in and year out. Had a decent year last year. Elijah Moore is um, going to be a
1: going to be an upgrade in the slot. They, yeah, there's more than enough talent in the wide receiver core to kind of absorb right. that loss. An addition that's not even on this list is uh, Mikai Becton, who essentially was out uh, all of last year, right, getting hurt in week one. That, that's a top ten tackle. Yeah,
0: and I think there's questions around, you know, how healthy when is he going to be. What's his mental state if he comes back if he's healthy and if he performs in line with expectation that would be huge you could grade the jets offensive line as potentially i mean top 10 top five if it all kind of comes together that would be huge for someone for a young quarterback you know like zach wilson who also struggles with kind of decision making to be able to kind of give him more time there certainly is a case for for being above average uh, at every position uh let's move on to 2022 now uh, so still pedestrian expectations. So win total kind of expectations at six, our Pythag 2.0 model suggests no bet, uh, strength of schedule, the expectation of a strength of schedule, this is kind of using the futures implied kind of win totals, of course, like we talked about on previous streams as well. I mean, the strength of schedule can totally change over the course of the season, Jack to be the eighth hardest. Still, they don't get a break from a rest perspective. So it's a net minus eight days of rest for them. And then their mean spread, you kind of look across the board, you can see that they're underdogs in pretty much every game except for three games versus arguably like three of the kind of bottom five teams of the league. Uh, So mean spread, almost four points. And it's probably actually a little bit higher than that since we don't have a line for the Browns. Anything stick out to you kind of when you're looking at
1: the Jets. Uh, I think we're going to get a pretty good sense of kind of what Zach Wilson is early on. At least the, the tendencies, how they plan to utilize Zach Wilson. But if I kind of like what I see, and they they sneak out a couple wins, let's say they're like, you know, two and four, two and five. That's kind of the time we'll all be investing in in the Jets' future, uh, considering their schedule uh, towards the second half with games against the Seahawks, Jaguars, Lions, uh, Bears. Even the Vikings aren't too daunting.
0: One of the reasons I don't like this for the Jets is it's going to put pressure, obviously from the fan base for sure if the team is struggling, which I don't, it wouldn't be unfair to suggest that they would be. I mean, they're
1: underdogs through week 12, and these are tough, tough games. Obviously if Zach Wilson's the same quarterback he was last year, they're going to be a disaster. They're not winning games. Again, they beat the Bengals last year. Uh, Anything can happen in one game. I think that's what the Bengals game represents, and uh, who knows with the Dolphins? I don't think they're going into Lambeau and winning. I don't think they're going into Mile High and winning. Uh, But I think really the uh three of the first five games are very winnable so. i don't think
0: anyone wants to open verse the ravens no uh since that always seems like that's when they put in their their home a home run performance kind of year in and year out i'm a little bit more bullish on the Bengals. i feel like they're like a popular sell in, so far in the off season i'm with you i, I so i still think that there is upside there and i actually feel like market skepticism creates an opportunity there and then I'm actually not that bearish on the Steelers either the same way kind of, again, relative to market expectations, particularly if Trubisky is a starting quarterback. But I want to give Trubisky a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. He always showed flashes in Chicago. Um, it was just kind of always met with like then some putrid performance. Yeah, I allow for the possibility that was a consequence of just a terrible coaching staff Toxic environment, a kind of new resources, new team can really open up things for him. Yeah, uh, And then, yeah, maybe the Dolphins.
1: It's, it's really, we're dancing around the Zach Wilson question, um, which is if you're projecting Wilson to be the 33rd ranked quarterback, they're not winning many of these games. If, you, if you're building in a projection of, you know, 22 or 16, it's going to look very different. And our perception of the Jets is going to look very different. Would our projection of the Jets look very different if Zach Wilson didn't play last year? How much, we, how much are we putting in the yeah that's fair how much are you putting because in the thing in... is like is I, I came in i when i watched
0: him at byu especially the year before his final year he looked just really bad um like again like he had like some highlight reel kind of plays and one of the things i, I always kind of criticize someone like justin fields for is i feel like justin fields is a bad quarterback in my view uh but he has just enough kind of star power, highlight real plays, that kind of keeps the believers the requisite fuel to kind of keep pushing that narrative. I would—I was bearish coming in uh, with Zach Wilson into the season. He obviously was a star in the preseason, and that started to sh- you know, kind of change a lot of people's minds. And last thing I would say on the Jets here is just I feel like they play a lot of tough teams, and a lot of these tough teams are not the teams that are necessarily going to underperform. And then I think the bad teams they play, I think, are actually teams that could outperform. Right. You know, teams like the Lions, teams like the Jags, where you look at them right now and they're favorites. I would not be surprised by the time they play them that they're not favorites. Jets under, that's that's where, that's where I'm beyond. The
1: price is set fine. I might buy a future
0: midseason. The Miami Dolphins. Uh, 2021 uh, came into the season with the expectation of nine wins. They hit it. Nine and eight. Uh, nine and
1: seven. The, eight. Ultimate, yes. the ultimate backdoor. Just
0: they like started at one and Red seven. hot the second half of the season. What a lot of favorable situations uh, that were kind of outside Absolutely. of their control that just
1: kind of happened to materialize. Coming into the season, people were really, really bullish on the Dolphins, uh, a defense that created a ton of turnovers in 2020. Uh, yeah. right, they were powering, you know, 10th uh, in, in week two of 2021. People were, were really buying them uh, for their defense.
0: Uh, and then, you know, obviously sold off hard. To start the season, falling you know 15 spots uh, over the next kind of four or five weeks, and so you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven losses in a row probably should have been eight losses in a row. Then got a little bit of a respite with the Texans, one and covered, one and covered, one and covered, one and covered, one and covered. Beat the Saints, one and covered, and then got demolished by the Titans. Uh, and then came home and beat the Patriots. Once again, always play the Patriots tough. A $100 better betting the Dolphins last year, made 300 bucks, probably was down close to a thousand, probably mid season uh, and, and came roaring back. Pythag had them at around seven and a half wins. Uh, the Pythag 2.0 model still had it around seven and a half wins. So underperforming kind of that, that nine wins that they ultimately had. They had a lot of favorable positions in that second half of the year that allowed them to get those wins. Uh, Their seven day uh, power ranking volatility, very high, uh, almost five spots per week. Uh, So the market could really never get a handle on them. Tua got hurt kind of early in the season. Bursette came in, then it was Tua, then Bursette, and then Tua. It's a lot of volatility at the quarterback position. They certainly played better with Tua as he kind of closed the season out and kind of racked up a lot of those wins, except for that, again, that week 17 game versus the Titans. I don't, I don't even remember that game, but man, it was he played rainy,
1: bad. Rainy game. Uh, it was ugly. A lot of a lot of turnovers. But I think the, the points of highlight here is if you look at uh, weeks, one, uh, weeks 11, 12, 13, uh, 16, they're playing a bunch of back quarterbacks. Not just any back quarterbacks. They're playing Mike Glennon, uh, Ian Book, uh, guys who were totally, totally, totally overmatched. But I think that really kind of... Uh, helps to understand what the Miami Dolphins were last year and why you know I don't know if you're seeing this I'm seeing plenty of sentiment of the Dolphins won nine games last year you know they added uh, Tyreek Hill uh, they added a bunch of pieces that's worth a couple wins they'll probably win 10 or 11 games but I think this kind of paints the picture of like no this team is fundamentally probably a 6-7 win team yeah well I think the other thing is you know the PyFAC
0: 2.0 model also suggests not as a 9-win team but as a 7-win team And then you add a couple players and maybe that gets them up another game or two assuming health. And then that kind of puts you in line with kind of where you are from a market expectations perspective. And that's one of the reasons why it's not really suggesting any bet. The other thing that I wanted to kind of highlight here too, was as they kind of started to gather steam, the market was actually kind of quick to adapt and then really started to jump on the dolphins and were able to capitalize. Uh, So we see even like the seven day line change. Uh, so, you know, which monitors kind of how the line moves uh, from the Sunday night opener all the way through the next Sunday's close. And starting from week 11 all the way through week 18, the line moved in their favor. One point, one point, four points, two and a half points, seven points, one point. But we also see, again, the uh, the super contest pick twice over that time period. The Dolphins were the number one pick uh, and won and covered
1: in kind of both, both of those. So you kind of see a very sharp sentiment shift. People thought the Dolphins were going to be, you know, a top 10 team or their power ranked as such. And they were one in seven and people were really asking, is this kind of fluky, is this not? And after winning a couple of games, especially the Thursday night game against Baltimore, it was like, okay, this team's a little better than their record shows. Uh, now's the time to buy when, you know, kind of some square people might be uh, selling the dolphins when they're, when they're only three and seven.
0: The other thing I'd highlight here too, is one of the things I like looking at the max lead and max deficit, uh, kind of gives you an indication if they lost, you know, how competitive were they? And also the mean win probability, which kind of is a time weighted, uh, win probability encapsulates how competitive they were in that game as well. We can see over the first course of those games, again, 50%, 52%, you know, they were beating the, the Raiders by 14 and then ended up losing. Uh, They were beating the Jags by 10 uh, and ended up losing. They were beating the Falcons by 7 and ended up losing. Uh, Not only ended up losing, but most of these games, they, they didn't cover. You can also kind of look at the win probability time series to get a little bit more of a sense of kind of how that transpired. And we can kind of see that, you know, they started off the games kind of relatively well. And as the game kind of wore on, it kind of broke down. All right, so let's go into the offseason. Not much to say about the draft since they basically trade away all their picks. Uh, some of the commentary we got from Ron was they did a pretty decent job with what they had at their disposal. So linebacker was a huge need of theirs. Um, he actually ranked it as their number one area of need. And so he liked the fact that, you know, their highest pick there at number three, they picked Channing Tindell from Georgia. He might be able to kind of come in and really provide some depth even here in year one. And then another thing that Ron pointed out in his reports was, you know, again, since they only had four picks this year, they signed like 10 undrafted free agents. In fact, they signed an offensive tackle. He had the 13th best offensive tackle in the draft and thinks that he could actually potentially contribute, provide some depth. When it comes to offseason changes, kind of touched upon it. Obviously, the Tyreek Hill addition, the addition of Taron Armstead um, definitely is going to help kind of boost uh, the offensive line. Uh, added Chase Edmonds, added Sony Michelle, uh, yeah, Mostert as well. Um, so kind of coming from that 49ers system. Lost Devontae Parker, again, I don't think that's that big deal. I think they, you know, kept Preston Park, uh, um, Preston Williams, uh, uh, Gusecki, and obviously Waddle. Uh, and that's, you know, a lot of people are excited about
1: that kind of wide receiver class. Big separators and a lot of talent for sure. Yeah. Uh, and Will Fuller didn't really, didn't really play at all for them last year. Parker, no, not really. total. That was a, that was a total bust. There was a
0: lot of people yeah. coming in last season that were very, very hyped. About yeah, I think the I exact think same still, thing that always
1: happens with him is he's injured. He's certainly in the range of outcomes where he would he would contribute nothing like he did. But I think again, uh, you know, losses. Uh, I think Brian Flores is going to make a difference on the defensive side of the ball, and in addition is uh, you know the head coach Mike McDaniel. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really that's a central uh kind of question uh, about how the Dolphins are going to play. Is how can how can McDaniel kind of handle and transition from san francisco what elements can you bring of that offense
0: uh, yeah and that's know. the thing is is again like these are open questions the thing is is again when we're talking about market expectations they're being priced aggressively that's with those uh, open
1: questions i i i really don't understand the uh this person was under uh ex coach he will therefore bring the same system to a new team as if mm-hmm. like we don't have so many counter examples how yeah. many bill belichick coaches are we going to go through uh <laughs> Before before we can we can finally say okay, uh, Bill's magic is is contained within. I'm not sure no. I'm not sure where the uh, why we're still buying into the coaches being able to replicate where their their coaching tree.
0: Uh, one addition that I also liked, um, obviously, I lost Jacoby Brissett, uh, but replaced him with Teddy Bridgewater, uh, which I think is definitely a big improvement. You know, regardless of whether Tua struggles or not, but even if Tua gets hurt, which we know he's kind of been injury prone. Um, had suffered from injuries suffered from not just you know kind of recovering from that devastating hip injury from a couple of years ago but he had rib injury kind of index finger injury kind of last year that not only caused him to miss games but just disrupted his play uh, as well so to have I think you know year in the year out we know it really is important to have a strong backup quarterback you know a couple of teams last few years flirted with trying to use Teddy as a starter I don't think He's a great starter, but man, I think he's an awesome backup.
1: Back up. he can really adequately fit in. So in
0: 2022, again, like priced at nine, aggressive, division plus 435, plus 165 to make the playoffs, Super Bowl plus 3300. Again, Pythag 2.0 model, no bet. Uh, 14th hardest schedule, so kind of just average. Um, they have a net benefit of five days of rest. Mean spread is basically flat.
1: The central question for me with the Jets was, I think we're gonna learn a lot about Zach Wilson. And for the Dolphins is, I think it's really a kind of a, a new offense that has not been tried uh, in the NFL, which is how, how much can receivers after the catch uh, make a difference? And I think uh, we'll sort of get some signal that I don't even care about the results from the first four games. And I'm almost expecting them uh, to kinda, to lose to, to the Ravens, lose to the Bills, lose to the Bengals. Uh, maybe they'll, they'll be the Patriots. Um, but I, even if they're one in three, if I kind of see uh, some takeaways that this offense could work uh, and it might take some time, it's a new, it's a new system. It's a new coach. That could be a future spot to, to buy.
0: Again, the mitigating factors of to support the two truthers out there is I think we all have to admit that. I mean, he's been in a very bad situation, worst offensive lines the last few years, uh, coaches constantly rotating. So you look at three different offensive coordinators the last three years. And then, you know, even this offseason, you know, kind of still flirting with potentially signing uh, or trading for Deshaun Watson. Kind of a broader kind of macro thesis trade here, which is to fade every team that wanted Deshaun Watson. The fact that they would leverage. The brand, the reputation, the money, sentiment from fan bases—overlever yourself in order to get someone like Deshaun. It's a, des-
1: it's a desperation move. That's exactly what you're describing. Is an organization desperate uh, for for their savior? But I think even to your point about Tua, uh, like remember his his rookie season, they had this kind of arbitrary start date where Ryan Fitzpatrick led the Dolphins to a five and three start, and they kept on taking him out of games. Uh, right, the organizi- the the Tua story with the Dolphins has been rocky from the start. With that said, uh, I think the the move of Devontae Parker uh, and trading for Tyreek Hill signals that they're going to build an offense around Tua's strengths. Uh, Tua is a very accurate quarterback. Uh, he's not going to be able to win deep in the same way that Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen can win deep. And the offensive line was dreadful last year. I'm uh, looking at stuff perfectly blocked plays, which essentially uh, looks at if if there's one weak link on your offensive line, uh, there's likely going to be a pressure or a sack. The Dolphins were three and a half standard deviations worse than the mean on plays, basically, that were not quick outs. Three and a half standard deviations. I think the Dolphins are going to run an RPO offense, which is what they started to do in the second half of the year uh, where they had success, which basically mitigates the effect of uh, unperfectly blocked plays uh, because they're getting the ball out really, really quickly. Can you be one-dimensional like that? Uh, the offensive line is still dreadful. They're still uh, rushing. They were... Uh, 30th last year, 30th in success rate, 31st in yards per carry. They were they were dreadful, and that's not really going to change, I don't think, with uh, additions of running backs.
0: The, the addition of Taron Armstead is, is going to help, but it's a, a, a bit of a band-aid, you could say. I'm going under on the Dolphins because, again, it's baking in too much uh, expectation, and it could go sideways.
1: I, it's, but, I, was,
0: but I understand the bull argument.
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's a bull argument, and I think that's why I like more of the tail end and the alternate line
0: all right let's move on to the patriots 2021 the win expectations was nine they went over went 10 and 7 10 and 7 also ats and we see just that that dramatic kind of mid-season surge from the Patriots, where where they were upgraded by pretty much every media outlet they couldn't keep up with the the patriots fast enough started out a a little bit sluggish um kind of but had, you know, even though they lost and didn't cover versus the Cowboys in week six, that was another good game uh, that the Patriots really performed well in. I think if we probably look, I would say they were probably won most of that game. Yeah, so yeah, the win no probability was 64%. Came back, crushed the Jets, beat the Chargers, and that was kind of that baseline where then they surged over the next court, uh, uh, couple weeks. Which when I'm looking at this too, the teams that they beat, I mean, it's great that you're winning. It's great that you're covering. But I mean, beating the Panthers, beating the Browns, beating the Falcons. Like,
1: I don't know if that's like necessary, like justification yeah. to like get so excited. Putting myself back in, in the shoes there. I think there's still a little bit of optimism on Carolina then. Right? We, they, they, the wheels yeah, had totally fallen still off. Still on, yeah. And the Browns certainly were, were good. And I think that ranking you know, even indicates that as the 10th best team. Um, and certainly the Chargers were, people were bullish on and that. In, in some sense, it was like uh, two pretty impressive wins and a 45-7 win over the Browns was certainly a, a big one there. So I don't think it was kind of the the Broncos, if we remember early early last year, beating the the Jaguars and Giants and Jets in the first three yeah. weeks. And everyone was like, oh, what can we really make of this? They played some terrible teams. Um, but I think the Patriots did have some quality wins. Also playing competitive versus uh, the Bucks. Yeah, um... I think. Yeah. I think if we look at the, the mean win probability, I think they were actually uh, you know, positive in that game. Yeah, I at mean, 50%. Least. So, 50%. And yeah. looking back, that game looked a little more impressive. Kind of you yeah. can create the, the cases retrospectively and saying, oh, okay, maybe there was something there that wasn't just a total fluke. It
0: was really the Chargers game that really ignited uh, that surge kind of mid-season. I mean, it went from, in week four, the 20th ranked team to, in 10 weeks, the fourth ranked team. I, you do not see that every season. What are your kind of views
1: on Mac
0: Jones from last year?
1: I mean, I guess this is kind of a question about uh, the McDaniel's departure, uh, because if if Jones is really a product of McDaniel's system, then we can see him taking a step back. But I think that I, I think that's almost has to be the conclusion, uh, considering how coddled he was as a quarterback, especially early on.
0: A lot of teams uh, got better, but the Patriots were certainly not one of them. Um, So I'd say, you know, again, even uh, from some of Ron's feedback around the draft, wasn't necessarily super positive, didn't love the first round pick, thought they took him too early, didn't have anything like super meaningfully positive to talk about Tyquan Thornton. um, I've read other things about him as well that suggest that he's not really a NFL caliber kind of wide receiver. He's lightning fast, and that kind of seduced a lot of Kind of evaluators uh but maybe he's going to be more of like a punt returner kick returner and that's certainly not worth a second round pick maybe see even pff ranked them 192 uh and for a second round pick i mean that's that is a a huge
1: huge reaches both both picks 86 to yeah 29 and massive reaches i don't i don't think uh i mean we can give bill belichick the benefit of the doubt on the coaching side uh his drafting profile hasn't exactly been been too strong in recent
0: pierre strong i've heard a little bit of of kind of positive things around him ron also highlighted that as the best pick uh in their draft which again says something so that's your fourth round pick, For sure
1: but also he, like how much is he contributing this year probably not they've got a backfield of uh stevenson and damien harris and uh yeah
0: the thing I, is is they they did is we kind of go into the offseason they lost brandon bolden who was certainly their most used kind of third down back yeah. so who's gonna really provide the opposite James, G- James
1: White, White is, is hurt uh, I think they gave that a little like JJ Nelson um but I it seems the Patriots have had oh, so many of these guys from, from Danny Woodhead to yes and Brandon Bolden was they a practice player yeah uh, I I think these these guys are uh, they grow on trees for the Patriots
0: this is the thing is so that's where I feel like Bill J- Belichick is again getting a little bit complacent. And the fact that this is how past performance, this is what we've been able to do. We've been able to like take guys off the street and turn them into, you know, an NFL starter in two seasons and then ditch them and kind of move on to the next kind of guy off the streets. How long is that? Like now, because you're really starting to lose some of those, the foundational guys that have really supported this franchise for the last decade or so. Not only did they lose, they also lost their running back coach, their offensive line coach and their wide receivers coach. They lost kind of two studs on the offensive line, Shaq Mason and Karras. Um, And again, a lot of that has been because of cap casualty type uh, losses. Same thing around J.C. Jackson uh, as well, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, because they've spent so much money on guys like Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Nelson Aguilar. I mean, these are bad decisions. Yeah. And again, I feel like there's
1: this hubris from Bill Belichick that, oh, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'll make it work. But I think to your point uh, about kind of the, the potential Belichick hubris is that at some point, the cornerback talent's going to matter, uh, right? Like when you lose Stephon Gilmore, you lose J.C. Jackson, uh, and they're started to, to slate Terrence Mitchell, Jalen Mills, and Jonathan Jones. I mean, these guys have not been good NFL corner cornerbacks. At some point, the talent's got to catch up. That's why
0: eight and a half, I feel like, is super aggressive. One of the reasons why I... Like the under, it, it's a tough schedule too.
1: Seventh hardest schedule. Net rest minus ten days. It, it seems the only case for the Patriots is that they were good last year, uh, and and therefore they'll be good next year. Opinion, I feel like might this is true. More like
0: the Patriots have been good for the last decades or there. For sure,
1: for sure. Uh, but I think even after Brady left, there was kind of a little bit of okay. Uh, there's some pessimism here. Maybe, maybe this, this Patriots team is, uh, you know, they're done. Uh, the dynasty's over. Like they, they were good. There's no way around it. And they were, they were a top five team. Um, but if you just project forward at some point, uh, the cliff's going to fall. And again, this is, this
0: is, this is a tough schedule. I mean, and also in the back half of the season, um, you know, kind of looks like especially tough, um, especially after you kind of get the the Jets, Colts, Jets, um, they have like a kind of five-game span there in the middle of the season where they get a little bit of a respite. And then they're on prime time five games in a row. With the, with the I was actually very surprised. Round. I had to like double-check this to make sure that this like graph wasn't like pulling in some error. So they're going Thanksgiving, Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night, then Christmas. So it's going to be a big stage, going to be shifting sentiment across kind of the, the Patriots kind of no matter what. But at eight and a half, yeah, this it's hard to find nine wins here. So let's go and close with the Bills. Last year, we're also kind of a Super Bowl uh, uh, favorite. Started the season uh, as the third-ranked team, moved up to the best team for a little while there in the beginning of the season, and then even to close the season, you know, in arguably one of the best games uh, in NFL history uh, with the Chiefs in in the playoffs, going to OT, kind of back and forth. A lot of people suggest that the Bills were still better than. The Chiefs. So they ended up going 11 and six meeting expectation of 11 went nine six and two against the spread made better $100 better uh, $100. Always no one ever kind of gave up with them. They had that really nasty game versus the Jags when they lost nine to six like total head scratcher and then got blown out by the Colts at home a couple weeks later and kind of miserable weather game.
1: I was actually on the Colts that week. I had a whole extensive write-up about how I, I thought the Bills hadn't been tested to, on the run defense and that if the Colts got control of the game early, they could just uh, run all over them. I mean, look, they they had plenty of bad luck too. It wasn't just some, some bad losses. They were 0-5 in one-score games. Uh, so while there were some kind of head-scratching losses, uh, there also were probably some more wins in there. Yeah,
0: and if we kind of move on, we kind of see the market was super hot on them, of course, being one of the top teams, kind of stayed hot. On them, they were a kind of a top ten pick in the Super Contest. Looks like pretty much half the season uh, were more competitive than even eleven wins would suggest, which kind of goes to your point of kind of being Oh, and five in one score games, kind of getting some like anti luck. Uh, we look at the seven day line change on them on a week to week basis. The line was pretty much consistently always moving in their favor. Uh, anything else that kind of sticks out to you on
1: the kind of week by week basis? Yeah, looking back, the the Steelers game was was a bit weird. And it gives me almost a oh, little yeah. bit of yes. pause on Josh Allen, uh, meaning I, I think the Bills are have a really good case to be Super Bowl favorites, but the consistency is not there in the same way that it is for kind of the Mahomes and the Rodgers. Uh, but there's some surprising losses, right? Uh, the Chiefs aren't aren't scoring six points against the Jaguars. The Chiefs are are not losing a game to the to the Steelers early in the year. Uh, that that sort of sticks out to me uh, as almost a, a word of caution.
0: But they were also very lucky from an injuries perspective, so they were kind of ranked kind of second most healthy team last year. So really never got dinged by the injury bug in a meaningful way that would kind of disrupt their performances. And we know that kind of on a season by season basis, that's going to be very difficult to sustain. And even still, again, they were 11 and six, nine and six against the spread. It's not like they were necessarily kind of crushing expectation. That's why I'm not necessarily super bullish on them. And as we kind of Again, relative to expectation, because especially as we kind of go into the offseason, you know, so they picked up um, Elam from Florida, go Gators, um, definitely one of the top ranked kind of quarterbacks in the class. Ron loved that pick, thought that that was their number one need, uh, especially since they lost uh, Levi Wallace in the offseason. And then also Kadarius White tore his ACL in November. We don't know He's not going to start the season or it's going to be very unlikely. That's going to start the season. Who knows when he's going to come back? I mean, when you rely on speed, you rely on pivoting like a cornerback does. I mean, kind of coming back from an ACL injury, it's it's hard to imagine. You're necessarily going to be the same kind of player that you were. So kind of getting that young blood in, uh, it's going to be, you know, kind of really important. He's likely going to be starting right off, right off the bat. The other thing is, is, I mean, not a lot of rookie cornerbacks play well in their first season, even if they're kind of a
1: top five pick. Uh, so I think if, if there were cornerbacks to succeed, having the the safety duo of Hyde and Poyer uh, sure. behind you is certainly uh, playing to the shrinks. Which is just to say that he's put in the right situation to succeed. To succeed. Yeah, no, th- that's great points. I mean, arguably the
0: best safety duo in the NFL. Uh, I don't think that that safety duo and they're on the field at the same time gave up one touchdown for 20 yards last year. So kind of always protecting the deep shot. Uh, when it comes to those off season changes, I think the thing to highlight here the most is the loss of Brian Dable at OC. How is that going to impact play calling the rhythm of the offense? They're replacing him with Ken Dorsey, who was their uh, quarterback coach. So you have at least a little bit of continuity there. It's like that has some
1: signal actually, which is that they're really trying to continue course. Uh, they're staying within, um, and not trying to you know reinvent themselves. But
0: yeah, I think I, I would, uh, agree with that. I think where you know, we've talked about in the previous teams when there's been disruption either at the head coaching or the offensive coordinator or what the play calling is going to be. There's a lot of uncertainty. I would probably tilt more so here along with kind of like how you just described it is there's less uncertainty here around how that play calling is likely to be. I think keeping it in house, keeping it not just in house, but at the quarterback coach, somebody who Josh Allen is still very familiar with you know, that it's very likely. And how can you look at the la- like the, the performance of the offense the last couple of years and be like, oh, we need to make a
1: change? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I think points to uh, kind of more macro point about, like, buying into organizations that are doing things the right way.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that I wanted to point out, too, is the uh, drafting of James Cook running back from Georgia in the second round. I mean, Zach Moss really kind of never caught on. Uh, and they're definitely a team that wants to kind of distribute the ball in the backfield. And one thing that I was reading about is when the Bills struggled in those games that we kind of highlighted, like versus the Jags, like versus the Colts, and even that game versus the Patriots in that miserable weather that they lost 14 to 10 was Dermott explicitly lamenting the fact that they couldn't run the ball and that he wanted to run the ball more, that that's like what a successful team has to be able to do in those particular situations. And then picking James cook in the second round, I'm wondering if the loss of Brian Dable again, suggests that the offense should stay kind of consistent with what it was. But I wonder if this opens the door for McDermott to have more influence and that if he has this affinity to want to run the ball
1: more, yeah, I mean, my lean is, that's just coach speak. They were third last year in pass rate over expected passing 5% of the time, but you know, we'll know early on whether or not, and again, that can change, uh, but where they're leaning there. I actually wanted to highlight a different, uh, you know, draft pick to theirs, which is their punter. Uh, The bills really struggled on special teams. Matt has got a massive leg. uh, I think if anyone's been on, on Twitter or YouTube, you've seen that. Uh, And the bills were dead last in punt average, uh, 42 yards. You know, even if you, you improve that to, you know, 50 yards, that's still, even if they're punting three times a game, that stuff adds up. That's a couple hundred yards over the course of the season.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great call. out. I wonder how well he'll, he'll do, you know, coming from San Diego state punting in elements, that's right. uh, you know, like Buffalo, but yeah, if you can uh, uh, improve performance there, that's one of those kind of things that goes a little bit unrecognized. It's not sexy, but we know when you're watching the games you're seeing these things play out, that can certainly move the needle. Yeah, yards, yards are yards. So let's go into 2022 12 wins, as we talked about in the at the top. Man, that's hot. Uh uh playoffs, minus 525. That's I mean, this there's so much that can go wrong in like anyone's se- season. I would never bet minus 525. Uh, and then plus 600 to win the Super Bowl, which is also one of the highest numbers that i've really seen over the last couple of years so market very hot on the bills the pythag model a 2.0 again no bet again one of the things i did want to mention was pythag 1.0 that indication suggests that you should bet the bills Just over deep. got a positive net rest of plus 12 days mean spread approaching a touchdown uh well over a field goal around minus five points and we can see it on the screen i mean pretty much uh heavy favorites in five, six games. Uh, And you know, again, they don't have a very tough schedule. It's basically middle of the road, we see a 15th kind of hardest schedule, and you're obviously going to benefit when you're playing the Jets twice, you're playing the Lions playing the Bears. Uh, And then again, you only got really a handful of games for super tough first tough teams or arguably tough teams, Rams, Ravens, Packers, Bengals. So that's where I guess I could see the angle towards why you might want to take them over the 12, even as, as aggressive as it is, mostly because this is this looks like a relatively accommodative schedule.
1: Well, to counter that slightly, is they've got a bunch of tough away games, right? They're playing at LA, at Baltimore, at Kansas City, at Cincinnati, and some of their tougher games actually come on the road as opposed to at home. 12 is a huge number. It's a huge number, and so many things can go wrong in an NFL season. Uh, that, that betting over is a real tough sell.
0: Yeah, the, the home away split is a good call too, especially the first four games, uh, three road games out of that that first four. So away at the Rams, kickoff season, away at the Dolphins, away at Baltimore. And then you get a little bit of a respite uh, versus Pittsburgh at home. But then you go right back on the road versus the Chiefs. So that's certainly, um, you know, a tough kind of first six games there. Then they go into their bye and then they kind of come out uh, and play on Sunday night football versus the Packers. You know, it's going to be a high profile game, but already, I mean, even now they're like minus four, uh, in that game. So getting a lot of kind of a benefit of the doubt, uh, minus essentially a touchdown versus the Vikings. Um, I mean, these are some aggressive, aggressive spreads in in my view, again, that just kind of piles into the fact of just how hot the market is on the bills.
1: Yeah. no, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right. So that
0: was, um, a good kind of rundown of the AFC East. Uh, kind of one of the best bets that we had was taking the Patriots kind of under a lot of question marks around the Dolphins kind of heading in the season. And then I can think we're maybe a little bit split on the Jets. Definitely Um, split on the Jets. Have a tough schedule. I don't love zach wilson i'm happy happy to be proven wrong <laughs> uh we'll be back next week and be previewing uh, another division kind of as we head into training camp uh so we'll see you then i uh, are gonna hit the closing bell